welcome again to Faith. My name is Mike. I am one of the pastors uh, on staff here and glad to have you here with us as we are in week two of a series we've entitled Walk This Way. Uh, in this series, we're just looking at how um, a walk with God has similarities to a walk on the trail. And just like a walk on the trail, the, the gear that you take with you can make all the difference in the world. Uh, when it comes to a walk with God, the spiritual practices, uh, living into those the way that God designed them to be lived into can make all the difference in the world with that walk as well. And so each week in this series, we're going to look at a different piece of backpacking gear and use that as an illustration to talk about a different spiritual practice and how that spiritual practice is, is meant to be a way that helps us Seek after God so as to come to know him better relationally and as a result of that knowledge come to love him and then obey him more and more. Now, if, uh, as we get into this series, if you find yourself thinking, you know, I, I'd like to dive into this more in the context of community. Uh, we didn't have this set up last week, but during the week, uh, we had a small group that's going to be launching, that's going to kind of follow along with what we're doing in this series. It'll be a group that takes place on Zoom. It's going to launch on November the 12th at 6.30 p.m. and meet once a week. Uh, Patty Harrison, a spiritual director who attends here at Faith, is going to lead that group. And so be watching your, um, your bulletin and your e-newsletter. It'll have more information about how you can be part of that group if that's something that you want to do and just kind of add to what we're doing here on Sundays. But before we dive in to today's message, let's take a minute and pray together. Father, just as we have come to try and worship, try and connect with you, and one another. Father, I pray you would pour out your spirit onto us. Help our hearts to be receptive to you and to your truth as Jesus taught it to us. God, just as we get ready to um, move into election week, uh, Father, we just pray for the drama that we've experienced up until now. Father, the drama that is likely to be experienced uh, even after Tuesday. And God, just help us to be people who place our hope in the one who sits on the throne in heaven, not who's sitting in the Oval Office in Washington. Father, I pray uh, just for your hand on um, Joe Pellegrino and on his family as his sister-in-law passed away suddenly this week and his brother and his niece are just kind of reeling in the midst of this. Please meet this family. Please give them comfort. Uh, Father, please give them strength. Father, just pray for my friend Bob who is struggling, who lost his job this week and uh, is trying to figure out how he's going to make that work. Father, I pray for your hand of provision on his home, on his family, and that you would provide new work. Help us today, we please, pray, pray please, in Jesus' name, amen. So if, uh, if you go backpacking, one of the things that uh, they will tell you to do is get a gear list and kind of run through that gear list, make sure you have everything you need when you get on a trail, because once you're out on the trail, if you don't have it, you're out of luck. And uh, any decent gear list, uh, one of the things that will be on there, they'll tell you to take, is a whistle. Now, 
Um, my whistle is, is literally built right into my pack. And if you've ever been backpacking with me, every time when I put my pack on, I do this little thing. I, I go equipment test and I test to make sure that my whistle is working properly, and then I click this thing, and then I go. And by the end of the week, people are sick of me putting on my pack and going, equipment test, and I'm like, deal with it, all right? Because this thing's really important when you're out on the trail. So here's the deal. The, the most remote kind of trails, in my opinion, are the best trails to be on. Ones where there are the fewest number of people, one where you are off the grid, where there's no, there's no cell signal, there's no Wi-Fi. You are just out there. It's where you get to see the, the prettiest things. You get to have the, the most enjoyable experiences. Now, the, the trouble with remote trails, though, is if something goes wrong, you're out in the middle of no place, and there's nobody and no way to get a hold of folks, right? And so that's, that's where the gear that you take can make all the difference in the world. So, for example, at the end of August, my wife and I, my wife's sister and my sister's husband, we got to backpack our Royal for a week. Now, our Royal tends to be reasonably remote. This year it was even more so because of COVID, the visitor flow on the island was down by more than 80%. So you did not see a lot of people out there, which in my mind just made it all the better. So we're, we're, we're doing our royal, and one particular day, uh, been, it, just, it rained all day. Uh, but we're, we come to this point in the trail where you had this slight, you know, you know, area where you had the slope you had to walk down. And it was about five or six feet, and it was somewhat steep, and it's all rock. And, and so you're trying to make your way down this thing. And because it had been raining, it was wet, it was slippery. And so I'm trying to scoot down this thing. And I feel my feet begin to go out from under me. And I'm thinking, I don't want to fall backwards on this rock. So I try and compensate and, and put all the weight forward. And so I start to ski down this little piece of rock, which was going to be really cool. And, and it was going to get me down there. And I wasn't going to fall. And it was all working great. Until about halfway down, my foot found this V-shaped crevice in the rock and went right into it. Now, when, th when that happened, two things immediately took place. My foot stopped, and the rest of my body kept going, right? <laughs> and as this is happening, my brother-in-law, Jeremy, is standing at the bottom, because he managed to get down without falling. And um, when it was done, he said to me, when I saw your foot go into that crack... I thought to myself, this is going to be a broken ankle for sure. Now, fortunately, I got lucky. At the last minute, my foot pops out. I fall down on a, on a, kind of on my shoulder and on my face. I actually landed on a snake. <laughs> Snapped his little neck, you know? And so I get up, and there's this dead snake where I fell down, right? But um, I, I was fortunate. Some cuts, some bruises. I walked away just bleeding a little bit, you know, a little less pride. And, you know, but if I had snapped my ankle, all right, it had been a different kind of thing. And that's where something like a, a, a whistle or a satellite phone comes into play. Like if I'm separated from the group and I fall down and I get hurt like that, you know, you, you just get out your little whistle and you, <laughs> until, I mean, it's loud, right? And the, the, your voice only carries so far. You can only scream so long before you go hoarse. I can blow on this little baby, you know, if I've got air in my lungs, 
I can blow until somebody hears me and comes and helps, right? Or if, we, if you have a satellite phone, see, your cell phone on the island, it, it's, it's, it's a nice paperweight, all right? It's good for taking pictures. While you have battery, it's an alternate, you know, like headlamp, but it, it, there, there is zero cell signal. There is no Wi-Fi. You're calling no one on this thing, you know? Now, I've never had a satellite phone with me on the trail until this, that trip. My sister-in-law left five kids, you know, back on the mainland, and, and she was like, there's no way I'm going onto the island without some way to, you know, be reached, you know, in case something happens with my kids, which, to be honest, it was kind of silly. Because they, they can call and tell us, you know, you, you know, the, you know, the kid's get sick. The kid has fallen down and broken his leg. We, there's no way to get off the island to the end of the week, you know. And so, whatever, I guess you can worry about it for a week. But we, if, we, if I had busted my ankle, we could have called the ranger station and, and you know, got me choppered out of there or something. Um, but when, when you fall, when you get hurt, when you need some kind of help, Something like a, a satellite phone, something like a whistle, it's an absolute difference maker when you're on the trail. Now, the, the spiritual practice that we want to look at today that relates to this piece of gear is the practice of prayer. And here's the thing when it comes to prayer. Oftentimes, we limit prayer to just be in the whistle. Oftentimes, we limit prayer to being the, the, the satellite phone. It's the thing that we're going we're gonna to turn to when we're in trouble. It's the thing that we're going to turn to in need. And that, in part, is true of prayer. But prayer is meant to be a practice that is so much more than just that. And, and, and so today, we want to look at some of what Jesus taught about prayer. Because as Jesus talks to us about what prayer is, Jesus really tries to help us see that prayer is a way in which we seek after God. So as to come to better know him relationally, and as a result of that knowledge, come to love him and obey him more and more. Now, the, the, the teaching that we're going to look at from Jesus on prayer is one that um, probably most of us who are watching online, most of us here in this room are familiar with. It's recorded for us in both Matthew's biography of Jesus' life and Luke's biography of Jesus' life, and it's, it's known as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus was approached by his followers, and they said to him, hey, teach us how to pray. And in response to that request, this is what Jesus says, and we're going to look at Luke's version today. Jesus says to them, when you pray... This is what you should say. Father, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. Keep us from falling into sin when we are tempted. Now, in, in what Jesus is saying here, I, I would argue Jesus isn't, he didn't have in mind that every time his followers sat down to pray, that they would just mindlessly drone this over and over again. That instead, what Jesus had in mind with what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer is an outline of prayer, a, a, a way of 
highlighting for us the different ways in which we can pray and in doing so, draw closer to God in relationship because of that. See, prayer in its simplest form is simply conversing or communicating with God. When you boil it all down, prayer is about us talking to God. It's about a conversation with him. Which, when you think about it, that's what makes for good relationships. Just think about the relationships you have in your life and think about one that is functional and healthy. Chances are, part of what happens in that relationship is you talk to the person you're in relationship with. It's really not that complicated. If you have a healthy relationship, I'll bet you part of what makes that relationship healthy is you communicate with that person you're in relationship with. And as we talk about the spiritual practices over the course of the series, I would encourage you to try and think about them from the perspective of relationships. Like what, what is it that makes a relationship with you and another person work and how can you apply that to your relationship with God? Because what, what it means to be a person, to have personhood, to have a level of intellect and emotion and will and value that is unique to human beings among the creative order, the reason that we have that is that what it is to be a person God is. And we have that because God had that first and we were made in his image. And that being the case, what makes for a functional, healthy relationship between you and another person, that's going to make for a healthy and functional relationship between you and God. And what makes for a dysfunctional relationship between you and another person, that's going to make for a dysfunctional relationship between you and God. And in, in what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is trying to help us understand these are, the way that you can, these are the ways that you can communicate with God so as to have a healthy and functional relationship with him. So as Jesus talks to us about praying, he starts off this way. He says, he says when you pray, pray Father. And in that, Jesus, he's trying to help us understand that God is not some impersonal force out there in the cosmos. God is not inattentive to your voice. God is not bothered when you call out to him. Instead, Jesus, when he tells us to pray, Father, he, he's telling you that because he wants you to understand you have a Father in heaven. You have a God who is attentive to your voice. You have a God who is excited to hear from you. My phone goes off a lot. Between phone calls, text messages, social media notifications, a lot of people try and get a hold of me on this thing. Now, I'll just be candid. When somebody's name comes up in my notifications, sometimes I like seeing those names. Other times, I'm not as excited. Whenever my kids' names come up in my notifications, I get excited. I don't know, maybe there's something wrong with me. I like hearing from my kids. I like it when my kids talk to me about where they're winning in life, what they're excited about, what their dreams are, what their hopes are. 
I even like it when my kids tell me about where they're failing, where they're afraid, where they're frustrated, what they're struggling with. Not so much because I'm happy that's happening in their lives. I'm just glad they're talking to me about it. When, when my phone goes off and it's one of my kids, I get excited. Now, because my phone goes off a lot, I, I find myself in a position where I have to limit how, how frequently I respond to what's going on on my phone. And one of the ways that I will tend to do that is if I'm sitting down and I'm meeting with somebody like one-on-one, I try not to, to, to pay attention to this thing. In fact, if, if I am on my game before I go into a personal meeting with somebody, I turn the ringer off. However, sometimes life gets busy, I forget to turn the ringer off, right? When the ringer goes off and I am meeting with you, I will turn the ringer off. I will not answer the phone. I will not read the text message. It feels like I'm being rude to you if I do that. There are a couple exceptions to that, though. One of them being, if it's one of my kids trying to get a hold of me, I'm going to interrupt my meeting with you long enough to make sure it's not an emergency on my kid's part. And I'll just, I'll just be blunt with you. If you find that to be rude, if you don't like that, I really don't care. <laughs> my kids rank higher than all you all every day of the week. All right? Listen to me. You're God's kid. What if you had somebody who genuinely wanted to hear about what's going on in your world? What if the most powerful being in the universe, he cared about your wins and your losses and your hopes and your fears and your sorrows? What if God himself was saying to you, I know life is hard. Let's talk about it. See, when Jesus tells you, pray, Father, he wants you to understand those aren't what-ifs for you. Those are realities for you. He wants you to understand when God sees your name come up in his notifications, he's going to interrupt what he's doing. When God sees your name come up on his phone, he's excited to hear from you. When Jesus tells us to pray, Father, part of what he wants us to understand is that prayer is about a conversation with God. Well, we just talk to him about what's going on in our world. Well, we have somebody who, who is eager to hear from us about the good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives, who just wants to listen, who's just excited that we're sharing that with him. He starts off and he says, when you pray, pray Father. Now, after Jesus makes it clear who we're talking to, he begins to talk more specifically about the kind of things we might want to talk to God about. And the next thing that Jesus tells us when he tells us how to pray, he says, he says pray, may your name be honored. Now, if you're old school, how did you memorize that? That's right. Hallowed be your name. Do you ever stop and think what in the world that means? <laughs> like, what does it mean to pray, hallowed be your name, or your name be honored? Well, uh, to, to pray, hallowed be your name, to be hallowed is to actually to be holy, to be separate, to be set apart, to be different than, to be greater than. To pray, to pray hallowed be your name or to be honored be your name, it, it's 
to recognize in prayer that God is different, that he is good, that he is great. And to take time to thank him for that poured out into our lives. Now, guys in the room, especially husbands, guys online, especially husbands, just you and me right now, okay? Gentlemen, you, you know what you call a man who never thanks his wife? Who never, never appreciates verbally to her what she has done, who doesn't go out of his way to recognize her goodness and, and, and her goodness expressed in his life. You can call him a number of things. You can call him unhappily married. You can call him couch surfer. You can call him in danger of being single. Amen, ladies? Yeah, that's right, she says. Uh huh. Now, we can have fun with this, but... Again, just think about this. This is not complicated stuff. How many healthy relationships do you have where the person you're in relationship with, you never recognize the good things about who they are or how that gets expressed in your life? In healthy relationships that you're in, you take time to recognize the good things about that person you're in relationship with and to thank them for that in your life. As Jesus tells us to pray, may your name be honored, this is what he's talking about. That part of what prayer is, is I recognize God in his greatness and his holiness and his goodness and how that gets poured out into my life in both ways, ways both big and small. Now, th there are all kinds of ways that we can do this. A couple of examples. Every Sunday morning, we come together in part to do this. On the front end of our service and on the back end of our service, we come together as a community, as a, as a family of faith to sing, to lift up our voices and recognizing who God is and to thank him for that expressed in our lives. We're, we are not just trying to fill time on the front and back end of the service. No, we, we are intentionally trying to hallow or honor God's name. And that being the case, part, part of what I need to understand is that if, if I roll into church two or three songs in, if I jump onto the live stream when the announcements come on, I, look, I'm not mad at you. I'm glad that you're here. But if that's me, I need to understand I am robbing God and I am robbing myself. Bless you. I can say that. We're in church. But if I roll in late, though, if I, if I roll in well after worship, I am robbing God of the honor that he is due from me. I am robbing myself of an opportunity to engage him in relationship. Because when we come together and we sing, that's what we're doing. It's one of the ways that, we, that we, we are praying through song in community as we honor and hallow God. Or, or another way that just like I try and do this, when I sit down and have my quiet time, I try and sit down with my phone and my journal. Usually, I try and make sure the ringer is off on the phone. And, and I have a journal not because there's anything inherently good about journaling or inherently holy about journaling. It just helps me focus. And I'll open up my calendar and I'll open up my journal and I'll look back at the day past and try and think of where did I see God in the midst of all I was doing that day? And what do I have to be thankful for? And then I just write it down. And it's a prayer in writing as I try and 
honor his name. Jesus says, hey, as you begin to talk to your father, spend some time recognizing who he is and what you have to be thankful for as that gets expressed in your life. And I think that one of the reasons Jesus tells us to start there is he understands that when this is how the conversation gets framed, it changes the conversation moving forward. When, when the conversation is built on a foundation of recognizing who God is and his greatness, his holiness, his goodness, and then thanking him for that expressed in our lives, it begins to change the conversations that we might have about what we want God to do for us, what we might want God to give to us, or how we view ourselves and others in the midst of our brokenness. All of which just happen to be the things that Jesus tells us to talk about next. As Jesus goes on, he says, when you pray, pray, pray this. Pray, may your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, this is the part of prayer where we ask God to do stuff for us and we ask God to give stuff to us. And look, there is nothing wrong with asking God to give stuff to you, asking God to do stuff for you. There's nothing wrong with blowing the whistle. There's nothing wrong with getting on the satellite phone. Jesus actually encourages us to do so here. The problem comes when this is all prayer is. When prayer gets reduced to nothing more than, hey God, will you give me this? Hey God, will you do that for me? Which again, just think about it. How many, how many relationships do you have that, where the communication between you and that other person consists solely of you asking that person to do stuff for you or you asking that person to give things to you? Chances are, if you have a relationship like that, it's not a healthy one. In fact, let me just clue you into something fun here. If you have somebody in your life and the only time you talk to them is when you're saying, hey, can you do this for me? Can you give that to me? If they haven't already, that person dreads talking to you. If they haven't already reached that point, they will eventually. They're going to get to a point where they dread talking to you. I can remember this point being driven home for me with Joan and Rod. Back in 2002, I was part of a brand new church plant. I was not on staff. I was not a pastor there. This is important a little bit later on in the story. Um, but I was just somebody who was volunteering. But as a volunteer, I was, I, I was given a lot of responsibility to help a lot of ministry get going. And so I was regularly in a place where I had to ask people to help get things done. I can remember walking up to Joan and Rod after church, right? And I'm like, hey, Joan, Rod. And before I could finish my sentence, Joan looks at Rod and says to him, uh-oh, what's he going to ask us to do now? Now, the minute I heard that, three things happened inside of my head. First of all, I started cussing inside of my head. I wasn't a pastor yet, okay? All right? So, so like our vice chair here at church, Jody Idness, cusses like a sailor all the time. It's distressing to me. And she's like, Michael, it's okay. I'm not a pastor. I'm like, well, all right, Jody. All right. Just fun for my profane friends out there. All right. So I started cussing inside my head. The next thing that I thought is, I was like, okay, I have really gotten lopsided in how I communicate with people. Like, 
th- this is not okay. And the third thing was like, I got to figure out a way to change this, right? Jesus says, hey, when you pray, it's okay. You can, you can ask God for things. You can ask God to do things. But understand, for some of us, prayer feels cold and empty and like this obligation that's laborious and it's just dead. This is probably why. Because all prayer has become is, hey God, would you give me? Hey God, would you do? This list of things that we just repeat over and over and over again where we ask him for stuff and we ask him to do things. And that's all it is. And when that happens, it actually becomes, our prayer actually kills our relationship with God because we've limited it to just the whistle. We've limited prayer to just the things we want God to do and give us. It's okay if it's part but it can't be the whole thing. And when it is part, but please don't miss how Jesus frames it in. Jesus says, pray, may your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Jesus says, hey, it's okay to ask God to do things. But Jesus says, when you pray that way, pray, may your kingdom come. Or if you memorize it as, as it comes out of Matthew, pray, May your kingdom come, may your will be done. When you ask God to do something, are you asking for your kingdom and your will or his kingdom and his will? And and Jesus tells us again, Jesus says, hey, as you start praying, start off with recognizing who God is and what he's done. Because doing that, doing that, that's going to help you. See more clearly what God's kingdom and his will is. And it's going to make you more likely to accept God's kingdom and his will when it's different than your kingdom and when it's different than your will. Jesus says, go ahead ahead and ask God to do things. We pray, your kingdom come. And Jesus says, go ahead and ask God to give you stuff. But pray, give us each day our daily bread. To pray, give us each day our daily bread is to ask God to meet our needs, not necessarily our wants. And again, when prayer begins with, hey God, I want to recognize this is who you are and I want to thank you for doing these things for me, it makes it a lot easier to distinguish between what's a need and what's a want and to be satisfied when God meets my needs and doesn't necessarily give me everything that I want. So Jesus says, go ahead and pray. Go ahead and, go ahead and ask God to give you things. Go ahead and ask God to do things. Just don't let it be all that prayer is. It's got to be more than that. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, especially in the season that we are in, there are no shortage of things that I could be talking to God about, about asking him to do or asking him to give. So by way of application on this particular point of prayer, I want to invite you again to join us in the 714 challenge. Alicia Irving talked about this last weekend. If you weren't here, if you weren't paying attention, all right, pay attention now, all right, zoom in. 
The 714 challenge is, is a challenge where we're going to pray together over the course of the next five days as a church. It's based off of 2 Chronicles 714 and the prayer that Solomon prayed there. And really, in your, your YouVersion um, Bible app, in, in the, um, the, the, the online bulletin, on the website, there is a prayer guide for the 714 challenge. You can download this thing. And really, it is four days of individual guided prayer where you would get on there and each day it gives you a guide for a different thing to pray about, be it our, our nation, the community that we live in locally, our families, our church. And the idea would be at tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night at 7.14 p.m. You get alone, you get with a family member, and we're all going to be praying in different places about the same things, but we're all praying together. And then on Thursday night at 7.14 p.m., we're going to come together as a church. We're going to do so on Zoom. The, the, the link for the Zoom meeting is in the guide. We're going to get together, and we're going to pray together as a community, as a family of faith, and just take advantage of the fact that we can come to our Father in heaven, and we can ask him to move in these areas of our lives. We're going to take advantage of the fact that Jesus invites us to ask God to do things, to ask God to give things. And we're going to do that together throughout the week and then together as a church. All right, one more aspect of prayer that we'll look at and then we'll wrap this up. Jesus says, hey, when you pray, pray forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. So one more time, let me point you to relationships on this. I would argue that in any healthy relationship you have, when you do something wrong and you know it, and the person you're in relationship with who you've wronged knows it, that you own that thing that you did wrong. That you don't have a healthy relationship where you can do something wrong and you know it and they know it and you just don't own it. They can just eat it. Now, there are relationships you may have like that. Like if you're the boss and you've got employees, or if you're the parent and you've got children, or if you're the leader in an organization, you're interacting with somebody you know, who's on a lower level of their organization, you can have a relationship where the power structure is slanted so much in your favor that you can do something wrong and you know it and they know it and you don't have to say anything about it and they just have to deal with it. But that's not healthy. Or you can have a relationship where, you know, like with a parent or a child, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, where somebody wants to be in relationship with you so desperately that you can do something wrong, and you know it, and they know it, for the sake of just being able to remain in relationship with you, they'll let you get away with not owning that thing. But again, that's not healthy. That's dysfunctional. In a healthy, functional relationship, when somebody does something wrong and everybody knows it, the person who's done wrong owns that thing. Now, this is just how relationships work. And, and the, one of the reasons is that when somebody does wrong and it's known and it's felt in the relationship, like you, you, on an emotional level that impacts us. The, the minute that wrong, everybody becomes aware of it, it's like you drive this wedge in between those two people and it pushes them away until somebody's willing to own that thing. The good news, though, is that just the opposite can be true. 
when two people are in relationship and somebody messes something up, they do wrong, and the other person becomes aware of that, and then the person who has done wrong comes and owns that thing, it can actually draw those two people closer into relationship than before the wrong was done. And here's why. There's something that happens when there is an exchange of mercy and grace and forgiveness between two people that will naturally draw them together closer in relationship. Like my wife, Laura, and I, we are in relationship together. Believe it or not, from time to time, one or both of us will do something wrong in the midst of that relationship. Now, we're at church, so I'll just be candid. Usually when that happens, it's my wife who's doing something wrong to me. <laughs> all right? Who's counting? Who's keeping track? All right? But that's just how it goes. But seriously, like, th there are times where I'll be rude, where I'll be selfish, where I'll be thoughtless, and my wife is a recipient of that, and so she feels that. She's quickly aware of it, and I eventually get around to figuring out what's happened, and I'll go and I'll, like, own that thing, and I'll apologize. And she'll extend to me mercy and grace and forgiveness. And when that exchange takes place, it makes me more grateful for the relationship. It makes me want to be a better husband. It, it makes me more invested in our marriage. It makes me more likely to want to extend those things to her the next time she does mess up. There's something about an exchange of grace and mercy and forgiveness between two people that just draws them into relationship. Again, the way relationships work between two people here on earth, there's carryover to a relationship between us and our Father in heaven. When we sin, when we fail to live into God's design for our lives, when, when, when we rob God of the right to be sovereign, when we rob him of the loyalty and the obedience that he deserves, we wrong him. And the minute we do that, it drives a wedge in the relationship. It pushes us and God further and further apart. The good news, though, is that the exchange is always there and waiting. God is always ready to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness to us. Whether this is something that's a, that's a one-time kind of thing as we've been living in relationship with him, whether this is like a lifetime that we need to get reconciled. People in your life may withhold forgiveness. God never will. And so Jesus invites us. He says, hey, when you pray, pray, Father, forgive us of our sins. If there's some kind of wedge between you and your Father in heaven, it's not like he doesn't know. Like, I can, I can, I can wrong you, and maybe I can hide that from you. I can't hide that from God. He knows. I know. Forgiveness is just waiting. And in that exchange, that relationship can be made stronger. And then right after that, Jesus tells us to continue to pray in a way that should just, every time I pray it, I'm a little hesitant. Every time I pray it, it kind of makes me uncomfortable. 
Because Jesus says, hey, pray, forgive everyone. Forgive me, Father, the way I forgive everyone who sins against me. Jesus reminds me to pray in such a way that reflects the kind of forgiveness I've received and that I should extend it the way that I've received it. So, prayer. It's a whistle. It's a way to reach out to God when we need help, when we're, when we're in trouble. But it's so much more than that. Jesus says, when you pray, pray to your Father. Take time to just talk to God about what's going on in your world. When, when you pray, recognize God for who he is and his greatness and thank him for how that's been expressed in your life. When you pray, ask God to help you, to do things for you. When you pray, go ahead, ask God to give things to you. And when you pray, take time to seek his forgiveness. Take time to, to, to deal with the things that have muddied the relationship up. Jesus says, when you pray, Father, pray, Father, may your name be honored. Father, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us and keep us from falling into sin when we are tempted. Would you stand with me, church? Father, today, we just want to stop right now and pray to you. Father, help us just to see clearly where we need to take time and change how we talk to you. God, just if, if there are ways in which we've fallen into some, some bad habits of communicating with you that just common sense would tell us with any other person, this wouldn't work. Help us to see that in our relationship with you. Help us to live into prayer more deeply the way that Jesus is teaching us how to pray here so that in the midst of that, we would come to know you for who you really are. And Father, today, if there's anyone watching online, if there's anyone here with us in the room where this prayer for forgiveness needs to be a whole life kind of prayer, we, where we come and just confess to you that in our lives as a whole, we have denied you the right to be sovereign, but we're ready to change that. We just want to cry out to you and we just, we just want to pray, Father, forgive us, please, for we have sinned. Through John, you told us that if we will confess our sins, that you will be faithful, you will be just, that you will forgive us, that you will cleanse us, and so today, we want to put our faith in you, in your word, in your promise. A promise that was made possible 
through Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection. Father, we want to surrender ourselves to following Jesus. And we want to begin this journey where we grow to know you and become like you because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.